Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at Zimbabwe, where Robert Mugabe has been ousted after 37 years in power. Joining me on the line from the Zimbabwean capital, Harare, is our correspondent there, David Pilling, and here in the studio is a former South Africa correspondent, Andrew England. Uh, David, uh, it, the events have been moving pretty fast, but it now appears as if the Mugabe era really is over. Uh, is that your understanding of it? And what's the atmosphere like in Harare? Well, it, it is definitely over. Um, Robert Mugabe quit uh, yesterday. Um, you knew he'd quit because horns in the capital immediately started honking and the population was, I think uh, people use the word a lot, but euphoric, I think, is the only word to use. People streamed out uh, into the streets of Harare, clambered on cars, kissed soldiers, climbed on tanks. Um, it was really quite something um, to behold. People compared it to Liberation Day or the fall of the Berlin Wall. This was a lot of suppressed emotion. Um, so the Mugabe uh, era, um, if you're talking about the man, Robert Mugabe, is most certainly over. Whether a Mugabe-style government is over in Zimbabwe is another question. Yeah, and that's the question we'll return to in a second. But, but Andrew, I mean, you've uh, covered Zimbabwe over the years. Was it possible to see this coming, or did it just look like Mugabe was there forever? Um, I think it was very difficult to predict this. I mean, Mugabe, we've got to remember, he's been in power since 1980. You know, for 37 years, he outmaneuvered his rivals. He played people off against each other. He never groomed a successor. You know, as recently as a few months ago, he said he'd lead ZANU-PF, the ruling party, into elections uh, next year, uh, even though he's 93 years old. But what we had seen over the last probably two years is this increasingly vicious uh, succession battle um, which saw his wife Grace Mugabe backed by a younger generation of ZANU-PF uh, members called the G40 um, pushing back against and fighting uh, the veterans of the liberation war kind of section of the party represented initially by Joyce Majuru and then by Emerson Manangagwa and so th- the situation was coming increasingly toxic. Joyce Majuru was kicked out in 2014 as vice president. Manangagwa came in and then he was sacked a couple of weeks ago, which was the trigger for this. So while we couldn't predict that uh, Mugabe was about to go, and I mean, a very brave person to do that, what we could see is that the ZANU-PF was being increasingly split and divided beneath him because he hadn't groomed a successor and because his wife, Grace, was getting in these incredibly toxic uh, succession battles, which seems to be the trigger for the uh, military action. Yeah. And David, I mean, looking at the footage and the incredibly dramatic pictures of the euphoria, it does feel like a revolution from below. But as Andrew is suggesting, actually, this was really partly or in large part an internal party struggle. Um, So that then comes back to the question you raised are we now going to move to a more democratic system or is this just a reshuffle at the top of ZANU-PF? I think that it is by no means certain that we will move to a more open political system. 
just before Robert Mugabe quit yesterday, I was with Morgan Changarai, uh, a veteran opposition leader who had once been prime minister in a unity government. He said this was not a people's revolution. This was basically a coup. Uh, the military was very keen not to present it as a coup. And in fact, they restrained themselves from Mugabe out, which would have kind of turned it formally into a coup. But it was a military intervention in which armored personnel carriers went onto the street. Robert Mugabe was put under house arrest and a whole series of events was triggered, uh, including ZANU-PF kicking Robert Mugabe out of the party. And then the army inviting, uh, or, the, or the veterans really, inviting people on the street to, to pile on the pressure. But the people here were sort of, uh, in my opinion, a kind of an actor that were being used by the real protagonists of this drama, which were all people within ZANU-PF. This was a factional battle, a succession battle, um, which has been solved, if that's the question, in this really unusual way that has involved the armed forces, ZANU-PF, uh, fighting back against Robert Mugabe and the people used as a, as a kind of an added pressure. Even if it is uh, a ZANU-PF kind of internal coup, though, David, I mean, there is clearly this expectation on the streets. You can see uh, that people were euphoric, very pro the, what the army was doing. Do you think that ZANU-PF really will be able to simply ignore that and go back to business as usual and in the process disappoint all the expectations they've raised? No, I don't think they'll be able to go back to business as usual. Uh, I think Mnangagwa will have to make um, at least the appearance of reaching out to the opposition, um, of opening up the political process with some form of transitional government uh, or unity government uh, he also needs the international community to start lending Zimbabwe money again. And I think if it's really business as usual, that's not going to happen. So there will certainly be the appearance of opening up to the opposition. The question is, what will the reality be? Now, I mentioned that Morgan Changarai was in uh, a coalition government, a national uh, government of national unity um, several years ago. The, the, the opposition was really co-opted uh, into ZANU-PF. They were part of this government um, because they were in danger of actually winning elections. Uh, ZANU-PF could no longer rig without um, really being seen to rig those elections. And so ZANU-PF called them into the party, but then really dominated them. And in 2013, held new elections and re-established their sole sort of hegemony one could see a repetition of that where the opposition is sort of co-opted into the ruling party, used and then spat out again. But of course, things can take on momentum of their own. And the opposition is hoping that, that this will have unleashed forces that this party, which has ruled Zimbabwe since independence, will no longer be able to control. And Andrew, I guess, I mean, one of the reasons for scepticism, or at least caution, is that the man at the centre of the plot to overthrow Mugabe, Mr Manangagwa, has himself uh, a long record of conniving in dictatorship, essentially. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think, <clears throat> and we have to remember that ZANU-PF is the party that was in power whilst Mugabe was in power and allowed him to act the way that he did. Now, Manangagwa is a former liberation fighter, uh, in the 1980s, or he became security minister in 1980, 
when um, when uh, Zimbabwe got independence from the UK. And, you know, in, in the 80s, he was accused of orchestrating a massacre in Metabeliland, where at least 10,000 people were killed. Uh, again, he's been accused of being involved in the 2008 elections that David was talking about when Morgan Shangrai was going to go into a presidential runoff against Mugabe after winning the first round. But there was so much politically political violence orchestrated by ZANU-PF um, that he had to withdraw, which led to the unity government. And people say that Manangaga was behind this. So clearly we, it is a palace coup and ZANU-PF will be looking to retain power. Now the question is, I think, you know, whether they realise that you know, they need to re-engage with the West to revive the economy. The economy is in a state of collapse. It has been for years. They get very little access to lending. Uh, they, they've been, there's been talks to resume an IMF programme, but that's gone nowhere so far. And if they're going to do that, they're going to have to show that they are at least changing their their method of rule, shall we like. And I think the key test will be elections. So even if they get a, a, a transitional government together, that would hold until elections which are scheduled for next year. But the key test that everybody we're looking at is will ZANU-PF allow uh, free and fair elections? And then the question is, without Mugabe, who was the dominant figure of the party, how will they do at elections? Because, you know, for all the, you know, what Mugabe came, for ZANU, many ordinary ZANU-PF members, particularly in the rural areas, you know, he was still the figurehead. He was still the popular man. I was there in the elections in 2013, and he was their main campaign figure and they didn't have anyone else and Manangaga isn't necessarily a popular figure people remember the killings in Matabeli land in the 1980s so how well will the party do now mm. and David of course another reason the party might not do terribly well is that the economy is in a pretty desperate state and a lot of Zimbabwe's best and brightest have had to uh, emigrate that's true there's uh, perhaps millions of people out of the country last night it was interesting on the streets um, one of the things that people were very angry about was that Grace Mugabe had a PhD, and she'd been given this PhD for a couple of months study, um, whereas many Zimbabweans who take education extraordinarily seriously have worked extraordinarily hard um, to get degrees um, and even PhDs and have still got no work. Um, this is the great problem that the formal economy is tiny. There is no currency in the country. Basically, this is a dollarized economy. Um, and so people are, are desperate for opportunity, and ZANU-PF has not been able to give them that opportunity. But Andrew, I guess looking on more on the bright side, Zimbabwe is noted for having a very educated population, aren't they? I mean, Zimbabweans have tended to do very well when they go to South Africa. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that Mugabe did when he first uh, became the leader after independence. Um, you know, in South Africa, you find Zimbabwe, Zimbabweans in the executives uh, in mining, in banking, you know, all across sectors, and in, and the country itself also has a very good infrastructure. You know, it, it was one of the most industrialised countries uh, in Africa. Independence, its road network is good. It has hydropower. Now, the problem is a lot of that's been decaying as the economy has collapsed since the late 1990s, since 2000. So it is going to take a lot to reboot the infrastructure, reboot manufacturing, reboot industry. Uh, obviously, land uh, the land issue is a big question after the land seizures in the 2000s and agriculture was a huge export. So it's going to take a massive amount to, I think, turn Zim the economy around. But certainly, I think Zimbabweans, if they see that there is a different direction, um, they will be willing to come back. They're a very proud people. Um, you find highly educated Zimbabweans working as waiters in South Africa. Um, these kind of people would love to go back, I think, and be part of a new, brighter future in Zimbabwe. And David, finally... Um, 
obviously you must be very caught up in, in the events and the drama of the events around you, but in your putting your Africa editor hat on, I mean, what does this mean in, in a wider African context? Is this a development that other African countries are likely to welcome, or will there be a kind of uneasiness amongst other autocratic regimes? I think uh, uneasiness among those autocratic regimes. It was uh, interesting that Yoweri Museveni uh, in Uganda, who has been uh, in power almost as long as Robert Mugabe, um, increased the wages of his armed forces uh, uh, yesterday, I think, or maybe today. Um, so I think there'll be a number of people in the region um, watching nervously. Of course, we have liberation movements uh, all over Southern Africa um, that have uh, held on. This is a, a liberation movement that, that's, despite what I've said about it, probably going to cling on, but still in some important way, it's sort of crumbling, at least in terms of its ideology, before our eyes. And that will not go down well in Angola, uh, in Mozambique, and particularly in South Africa, where the ANC, I think, looks at what's happening in Zimbabwe with some nervousness. OK, well, with that interesting thought, we'll leave it there for this week. Thank you very much indeed to David Pilling in Harare, to Andrew England here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye.